Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, how many of you have ever either been in hospital or you've seen someone in hospital and visiting someone in hospital and, and at the end of their bed is, is a little clipboard that kind of looks something like this. And, you know, every now and then you'd see someone, what you know, you see a nurse or a doctor, they'd come in and they would pick up the clipboard and they would read the clipboard, they would scribble some things on the clipboard and, and hang the clipboard up and then leave. Is anyone else here the same as me and you're super inquisitive and you're always wondered, what is that and what are they doing? And what is it they're writing on there? And I'm always a little bit too scared to go and have a look. Well, here's, uh, here's just a few uh, notes that I came across this week that have been written on hospital charts. The patient refused to, to, to have an autopsy. That's probably fair enough. Uh, she is numb from the toes down. The patient is recovering from a forehead cut, but the patient became increasingly angry when she was given an enema by mistake. I can understand that. Uh, patient has chest pain, but she lie. But if sorry, patient has chest pain if she lies on her left side for over a year. On the second day, the knee was better. On the third day, it disappeared. I don't understand that one. Uh, the patient has been very depressed since, being, since seeing me since 1993. It's a really long time. While in the ER, she was examined, x-rayed, and sent home. The patient was alert and unresponsive, kind of like me sometimes during the week. Uh, I saw your patient today who is still under your car for physical therapy. Skin, dot, dot. Somewhat pale, but present. Pretty sure that's a good thing. These are two of my last two. I've saved the fav- my favorite two for last. Second last one is this. The patient has two teenage children, but no other abnormalities. <laughs> if you've got teenage children, I can, which I can't understand, but I will understand very soon. Uh, and this is the last one. Are we ready for the last one? All right, all right, all right. The lab text indicated abnormal lover function. I'm not sure what abnormal lover function is, but it's the text, the lab tests indicated abnormal lover function. Now, no doubt that some of these were written by people who were super busy. Maybe it was written by the sleepy intern. Maybe it was work. Maybe it was the overworked and frazzled nurse. But let's be honest. Every single one of us at times feel overworked. We feel lonely. We feel weary. And sometimes we feel a little bit isolated. See, loneliness and isolation are becoming an epidemic in our nation. Uh, You see, one of the things that I find so ironic is we've never before been so connected, and yet we've never before been so lonely. We arrive home, we hit the garage buzzer button, we drive into our garage, we hit the garage buzzer button, and the garage closes behind us, and we we walk into our home, and yet we live so close to people around us, and yet we live so distant to the people around us. This morning... I just want to take a few moments as we're going through the book of Exodus. And one of the things that I want to look at this morning is the the, the realization that every single one of us at different moments in our lives struggle with loneliness and we struggle with isolation. 
But God came and he sent his son to save us from loneliness and isolation. So we're going we're to look this morning at, at just a, a couple of principles that Moses found that his father-in-law, Jesse, kind of helped him discover. And there are th- three principles this morning that I believe that God wants to speak to you. Whether you're in the greatest moments of your life or whether you're in a moment where you feel a little bit lonely and you feel a little, a little bit isolated, God wants to speak to each one of us this morning. So if you've got your Bibles with me, why don't you open them or grab your, your phone or device or you can also watch the screen to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18 verses 13 through to 23. Exodus 18, verse 13 says this. The next day, Moses took a seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw that Moses was, sorry, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you do, why do you alone sit in judgment while all these people stand around you from morning to evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me with all, come to me and seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them what God decrees and instructs. Moses' father in law replies, What you are doing is no good. You and these people who you've, you and these people who, can, who come to you will wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you, and you cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. But, sorry, you must be with the people's, you must be the people's representative before God, and bring bring their disputes to you. Teach them his decree and instructions, and show them how to live, and how they are to behave. But select capable men and women, uh, sorry, men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy, who, have di- who, knew not, who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as a judge for people at all times, and have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves, that they may make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and you and and God if you do this and God so commands you, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Let me give you a little bit of a history to this moment. The Moses and the disciples, uh, sorry, Moses, not disciples, a little bit early for that. Moses and the Israelites uh, are now two months into their journey. They've escaped Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They're in the middle of the desert. They've spent two months into this journey, and it's been two months of grumbling and grizzling and whinging and whining from all the, from all the Israelites. And they've, they've now, to make it worse, they've now started fighting amongst themselves. And so they don't know what to do. So they come into Moses with all their little bits and pieces. He, should, he said, she said moments. And they're lining up to see Moses. So Moses, how do you fix this? Can you fix this? Jethro comes in. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. 
And he's come to see Moses. He's come to, to celebrate with him, to, to hear the good news stories, to kind of hear the gossip and what's happened and how did he beat Pharaoh and what was it like walking through the Red Sea and everything else. He's come to hear and to celebrate with him and to party with him. Instead, what he finds is Moses standing there, long days, day in, day out. And he says to him, Moses, why are you doing this? I mean, Moses, this is ridiculous. You can't do this all by yourself. See, it's obvious that Moses is tired. Moses' eyebrow eyes are starting to hang out of his head. He's, he's looking exhausted. He's feeling exhausted. He's got long days and long nights. He's pulling all-nighters to try and get, you know, jump the queue and make things go a little bit quicker and a little bit faster. And Jethro sees that Moses is exhausted. And to make matters worse, all of the people are grizzling and grumbling even more. And to make things worse, the lines are getting longer and longer and longer. Who loves a good traffic jam? So on your way to work, you're on your way to pick up the kids, you're on the way to the shops or wherever it might be, and you hit that traffic jam. And who loves the moment? Now, I just need a bit of crowd participation here. Who, uh, who's a patient waiter in traffic? God loves you. You're amazing. Now, who's the impatient waiters? That's, there, was, there was like a reluctancy there. It was like, yeah, right, I'm just a, you know. All right, all right, all right. Who is, who's the, uh, who's the lane changer? You know, who just sees that and they're like, I'll go to that lane because that's it. Yeah, now who's the, who's the, who's the, lay, the lane stayer? That, you know, you're just kind of happy to stay in your lane and just wait for it to go. Now, all right, lane changes with me for a second. Now, is it just me? Or you're, you're in traffic and you see the lane that's going quicker and so you see there's a little bit of a gap and so you jump in and who's with me that every single time you do the jump, the lane, it's always the lane that I'm not in, it seems to be the fastest. You know, like this lane's quicker, I get in that lane and I don't know whether I'm cursed or something, but like all of a sudden this lane grinds to a halt and this lane starts going. And then, and then you get in this lane and that lane goes. And then you get in that lane and that one goes. And then three lanes across, well that one's going, so then you make your way across and then that lane goes. Is anyone else with me? Or is it just... Okay, good. I thought I was just needing some counseling. See, every one of us don't love traffic jams. We don't like lines. We don't like lining up the bank. We don't like lining up at the supermarket. And none of us like lines and queues. Imagine what it must have been like for the Israelites. You're out in the desert. There's roughly somewhere between one and two million people. And there's one line. There's no line to jump in, you know. Everyone has to be a patient wine, a line waiter. So the seven people here that love that, you're loving it. All the rest of us are super frustrated. There's one line and there's like two million people. Imagine how triggered they all must have been. How edgy they all must have been. And Moses is sitting here and he's just looking at this line. And the moment he thinks it gets shorter, like 500,000 people join the queue. And he's freaking out. He's just thinking, I just wish I had some time to try and figure out how to make the line, like, figure out a better way of, like, something. But I don't even have time to make time to think about the something. And so he's stuck there and he doesn't know what to do. Except he's got a massive big line in front of him. How many of us are like that? We see so many challenges in front of us, but we don't know how to get around it. Moses is in the middle of a massive big crowd of people. And yet Moses is in the middle and he's feeling so isolated, so lonely. 
See, Mary, uh, Moses' family, his wife and the kids had gone off to see the parents-in-law. And so he's in a crowd of two million people, and yet he feels so lonely. He feels so isolated. He feels so by himself. You know what I reckon this morning? In a crowd like he's here, there's some of us that if we're honest with ourselves, you sit here going, you know what? I'm in the middle of a big crowd, and yet I feel so lonely. You know, I'm in a, in a crowd of people, and yet I feel so isolated. This God wants to speak to you, and He wants to encourage you this morning. See, when it's funny how that in the midst of a crowd, we can seem, we can feel so lonely. And maybe that's you this morning. But Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, turns up. He makes a few suggestions, a few ideas to Moses, and the traffic begins to clear. The fog begins to clear out of his life and out of his view, and things begin to change. So this morning, we're just going to look at three things that Moses realized and three things that we've got to realize. Can I just, can I just say from the get-go, none of these are going to be probably super f- profound and not something you've never thought about before, but I believe with all of my heart that this is what God wants to say to each one of us this morning. See, the first thing that Moses realized is that we all need connection. So we're designed and built with an innate desire to be connected. See, the Courier Mail recently posted an article, wrote an article saying, talking about the loneliness epidemic that's in our nation today. In the article, it said this, Loneliness is Australia's new public health crisis with an increasing number of people at risk of sickness or of early death because of their lack of companionship. The article goes on to say that the epidemic is so concerning that there is calls by many to employ a federal minister of loneliness. In the UK recently, they've employed a federal minister for loneliness. In 2018, last year, the Australian Psychological Society did a survey of hundreds of Australians And these were some of their findings. They said that one in every two Australians feels lonely at least once a week. One in four feel lonely for three or more days each week. Nearly 55% of our population feel that they lack companionship at least sometimes. And one in four Australians experience high levels of social anxiety. See, loneliness in Australia, lonely Australians is having a significant, uh, significant issue in our health, both our mental health and our physical health in Australians. And our city is drowning in loneliness, desperate for someone to acknowledge them, desperate for someone to just notice them and say hi to them. See, if we as people long to belong, then we need to connect. See, Jethro stops Moses and he says, you know, it's, it's time that you let others in. Moses, I see what you're doing and I look how exhausted you are. And you're, Moses, what you need to do is you need community. You need to let people into your life. You need to let people help you with what you're going through. See, we all have a deep need for community because connection happens in community. See, if we as people long to belong and need to connect, then we must find community. See, church, if we're going to see people, we're going to see the people that we live, work, and laugh with. 
If we're going to see the people that are most as closest to us, the people that we so desperately love to come to know Jesus, I'm more convinced than ever that, that one of the key ways that God wants to do this is through community. It's through each and every one of us. As we value people, as we say to people, every single person who comes through those doors is incredibly valued, welcomed, and loved. Because community happens, sorry, connection happens in community. And our community is desperate and desperately lonely. You see, God never designed us to live, work, and laugh alone, did he? I mean, I love a good chuckle to myself. But God didn't design us to just live our lives by ourselves, to work by ourselves, and to laugh by ourselves. See, if you remember in, in Genesis chapter 2, the very beginning of everything, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when God created man, one of the things, do you remember the reason why he created Eve? Beside making babies. Uh, do you remember the reason why he, uh, why he created Eve? In, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. It is not good for man to be what? It's not good for man. It's not good for woman to be alone. And I have made a helper suitable for him. See, God knew that from the beginning of time that, 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 that we weren't just meant to do life on our own, that we weren't just kind of meant to kind of go our own way and do our own thing. That, but, but it's an abiding principle throughout Scripture that God doesn't want us to live lives on our own, but He wants us to live lives in community. See, Jesus modeled this all through the New Testament. All through the New Testament, we see Jesus loving the outcast, the lost, the lonely. There's so many story after story after story where we read Jesus sitting by a well or something or other, and someone comes and acknowledges them, and he values them, and he loves them, and invites them, what, into a community with him and with the people around him. And 2,000 years later, nothing has changed except that Jesus now wants to use you and he wants to use me to do it. To accept the outcast, to love the lonely, to invite people into a community of people that love them. But you see, we cannot connect with people, sorry, we cannot connect people with Jesus if we aren't connected with people. See, church, I don't want to just build a, a great big crowd of people. I don't want to just... Fill this building with people for people's sake. See, I want to I wanna build, I want to try and build a community here where every single person is valued, where every single person feels cared for, where every single person realizes they're not just loved by God, but they're loved by someone who's sitting next to them. I want to build a community of people when we, when we say, you know, every person who comes through those doors, whether you wheelchair through those doors, whether you crawl through those doors as a little baby does, or whether you walk through those doors, that every single person is loved and valued. It's a community that has one another's backs. It's a community that supports one another's. It's a community that when one is down, there's people around them can lift them up and say, hey, you know what? I know what you're going through. In fact, I probably don't know what you're going through, but I'm here for you. So I want to, I want to, I want to try and build a community here where we go over and above because we value people because God values us. I want to build a community of people that are strictly inclusive, not strictly exclusive, but a group, a community of people that are, that are strictly inclusive. 
A few months ago, we witnessed as we witnessed some baptisms just here. And next Sunday morning, we're hopefully going to have a baptism service. Can I encourage you this morning, if you've not been baptized, maybe next Sunday is your day. Say, yes, God, these are my next steps in my walk with you. And you want to stand in the waters of baptism with me and some other family and friends. But a couple of months ago, we, I don't know if you remember the, the Sunday. And for me, I will never, ever, ever forget this moment. The moment was when we saw Glenn. Many of you know Glenn. Glenn comes here in a wheelchair and he's got no legs from here down. And I remember this is one of the greatest defining moments of, of community and expressions of community I have and probably will ever see. Because I remember standing in the waters of baptism and I, was, I remember Glenn putting on his prosthetic legs and beginning to walk down the aisle. I remember seeing a file of guys begin to file in behind him. And I remember a group of guys come through the doors and stand next to me in the waters. And I remember as Glenn walked up the steps, I still remember the moment where he tripped on the second step and I thought something bad was going to happen, but he found his way and someone reached out and grabbed his shoulder. And I remember as Glenn came in and he stood on the edge here, or sat on the edge here, as he took off his prosthetic, his prosthetic legs, as he took off the socks that he wears that cover the scars on the end of his legs and bared it to us all. As a witness, a group of guys get around at Glenn and go, Glenn, we are your community. We're a group of people that value you and love you even without legs and we're going to help. And I remember the moment where, where we lifted him into a stool that was in there. And a group of guys on this side, a group of guys on that side, and together as a community, we were able to baptize Glenn that day. Church, I remember it because it was not a dry eye in your eyes, not just mine for once. I remember the moment because I remember standing there so proudly going, this is the community that Jesus wanted. This is the community that Jesus died for. Then this is the community that we want to build here. And this is the community that Gateway is for. We want to build a family where even if you don't have a biological family, you've got a family here. You've got a people, a group of people around you that want to stand with you. You see, church, I don't want to just fill rooms of churches with people. I want to build the halls of our city with hope. And we can only do this because we've got to understand that lastly, connection requires action. We need to connect. Connection happens in community and real community requires real action. See, Jethro could have sat watching his son-in-law. I don't know what their relationship was like, whether it was an awkward father-in-law you know, son relationship with his son-in-law or what that was, but he could have easily just kind of sat by and gone, got some ideas, but you know, I don't want to tread on your toes. I don't want to, so I'm just going to kind of stand and watch. He could have actually said, hey, you know what? I'm not going to say anything for fear of, I mean, he kind of is the boss. I mean, he like led the people out of Egypt and stood up to Pharaoh. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And, and like, you know, I've just said what he did is he loved him enough and he cared for him enough to give some suggestions and some corrections. But you know what also happened? Moses had to be open enough to receive those suggestions and to receive those corrections. And church, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm not always the best person to, to open up and to allow people to, into my life to, 
to, see, to receive those suggestions and corrections at times. See, if we're going to build a community that is irresistible to our city, if we're going to build a community where people walk in the doors of this church and they go, there's something different about all of you great and strange people. There's something different about you. I mean, I walk in here, and, and it's not just like walking to Kmart where there's a lot of people and everything else, but I walk in here, and people say hi, and they smile. And, and, and I, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about each and every one of you because you put your hand out, and you say, hi, how was your week? And you actually mean it. You know, not just that, hey, how you doing? Yeah, cool. You stop, and you pause, and you... You pull yourself away from the conversations with the people that you know to come to talk to me who you don't know. See, if we are going to build a community where, where that is the norm, where that is what people experience, then it starts with each one of us. See, Moses realized that it couldn't all be on him. He realized that it wasn't, he couldn't just. He couldn't bottleneck it and keep it all under his control. He realized that he had to trust it with other people. Church, you've got to understand that, that this church is not built on me and my wife. It's built on every single one of you. It's built on people who are desperately loved by God. And we're called to desperately love the people around us. See, the church is not just built on a worship team. It's, it's not just built on Sam, who, who does such an incredible job playing keys. It's not, ju it's not just, just built on Beck, who can sing like I can't sing. It's not built on a, on, a, on a blue shirt brigade of people who warmly welcome you every Sunday. It's not built on a team of green shirt people who look after our children and who don't just look after our children, but are seeking to, to lead generations of young people who are passionately in love with Jesus. It's not built on a, on a team who's in the kitchen right now preparing morning tea for you. It's actually built on each one of us. It's built on you and it's built on me leading thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. See, not one of us is off the hook this morning. We're all in this together. But you know what I love? I love the fact that when we're all in this together, the byproduct is this, that all of a sudden we've got people around us who love us and care for us. And you know what I'm so ridiculously proud of about you and about our church? is that we love you and we value you regardless of your skin color or where you've come from. I love that this is a community of people that love you regardless of how old you are or how old you aren't. But there's a community of people here that value every single one of you. But it needs all of us. So we need to understand that real value will, sorry, real community will cost us. It's going to cost us our vulnerability. It's going to cost us the moments when we, we might be sitting in a life group or a service. And you know, that, you know that moment when all of a sudden you get sweaty palms and all of a sudden you know that God's poking something in you? But we don't always want to do something about it. And the, you know, the, the preacher says, hey, you know what, this morning we, we want to pray with you this morning. You're going through some stuff and we want to stand with you and pray with you. But you were too scared to make that move. Vulnerability means that we go to that place. So, you know, I'm broken and I'm, 
And I just need Jesus right now. And I need a community of people that can love me and get around me. And we're going to go and do that in a few moments. Real community costs us vulnerability. It's also going to cost us time. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm kind of selfish with my time. I mean, I love you all, but I don't want you texting me at 10 o'clock at night. And I'd like to go and have a day off and go down to the beach and have a swim. We all love our time. We're protective of our time. But you know what? Real community means that we sacrifice our time for the sake of others. You know what? Real community also can cost us our finances. One of the greatest ways that we can reach the world is through our generosity. Through, we see someone in need and we don't just think, hey, that'd be great if, if Dave or someone, one of the other pastors kind of magically made that happen. But you know what? I'm going to go and make that happen. You know, for me, this hit home this week because there's a gentleman in our church who came to my office on Thursday morning. And he walked into my office and said, Dave, I've just got a little something for you. I just want you to take out your family uh, for dinner. So that, for me, that was, that was really, really powerful. Because I know his financial situation. And I know that he doesn't have a lot. But I look at what he put in that hand, my hand that day, and I was really humbled. See, a generosity makes a difference in people's lives. And it might be generosity of time, it might be generosity of vulnerability, it might be generosity of finances, it might simply be the generosity of saying hi. You know, I might be walking through the supermarket and you, you do the, the exchange of pleasantries while the, the, the checkout person's putting your things through and you just stop and you say, thank you for what you do. Thank you for helping me today. See, church, if we're going to be a community that impacts our city, nation, and our world, it's got to come out of this community that we're in. See, as people, we need connection. Connection happens in community, and community happens and requires action. I want to ask you this morning, what is your next steps? I want to challenge some of you this morning. I reckon one of the next steps that you need to do this morning is on the way out of the welcome desk up the back is I've put out a bunch of life group forms. A bunch of us in life groups, and that's awesome, but some of you aren't. Maybe what you need to do is you need to get in a community. One of the best things that Shad and I have always done is we're in a life group with a bunch of people who will love on us, who will challenge us, who will convict us, who will lift us up when we need lifting up, and vice versa. We've got a, people, a group of people in my life and our life that we know that they've got our backs and we've got their backs. Maybe your next steps this morning. So you know what, for whatever reason, I've been holding off putting going to a life group. Can I challenge you this morning? We've got sign-up sheets up the back. Maybe you just want to fill in a connect card, tick the box on there, whatever it is that you need to do so that you can connect into a community. Maybe what you need to do is just invite someone for a cup of coffee this week. Hey, you want to grab a coffee on Tuesday? Maybe you want to catch up on a, on a weeknight, go have dinner with someone. Or maybe you just want to invest into someone else's life. Maybe you, need to maybe you need to sign up to volunteer in something. Maybe you just need to after this service. You know, we say it every, every week. And I know for some of you, it's the, it's the most scary part of church. 
and it's at the end of the hosting part where we say turn to the person near you, behind you, in front of you, inside, wherever it is, the person you've not come with and said hi. And every moment, every time that happens, you do this. <gasps> You're laughing because that's you, I know. You know that moment when you just sweaty, it's like instant sweaty palms. And you either, all of a sudden, you've just got an emergency tech message from someone, or you just need to tie your shoelace up, or you just need to do, I, I, just, I just all of a sudden have an urge to go to the bathroom. Can I challenge you after the service? Why don't you find a person that you don't know? Say, hi, my name's Dave. What's yours? You want to go get a coffee? I'll shout. It's free. I'll, I'll shout coffee. Can I get you a Bicky? They're free as well. Tell me about yourself. How's your week? How's your week been? Not just, how's your week been? Great, thanks. See you next week. How, how has your week been? It's been going on in your world. I look around this room and I know the stories of many of you. The stories of what you're going through. The journeys of what you're in the midst of. And that you need people to just stand with you and stand alongside of you. During World War II, a church building in Strasbourg, Germany, was severely damaged, nearly destroyed. And after the bombing had subsided and everyone was allowed out of their homes, a group of people from the church came down to the church to see if it was still up and how badly it got obliterated. Amongst the rubble, they found their much-loved statue of Jesus with His outstretched arms. And they were relieved because it was given to them by a really famous sculptor. And it was of Jesus standing with His hands out and it, they celebrated because it, the, the, the statue was still there and it was still unharmed. Until they got a little bit closer. And they realized that in fact the statue was, whilst it was still up, it wasn't totally unharmed. They discovered that both hands of Jesus had been severed, severed just at the, at the um, what's that called? At the wrists from a falling beam that had fallen down during the, during the bombings. And it seemed tragic to him at that moment that this, this, this image that, and that's the image right there, that was so carefully and craftily made was now broken. Sometime later, a famous sculptor came to, the, came to their city and had heard about this, this sculpture of Jesus with no hands. And he came to the, came to the church and he said, hey, look, out of the kindness of my heart, actually gonna, I'm going to craft some new hands for Jesus. I'm going to put them back on. And they actually said, no, 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 don't, please don't. And he said, why not? See, you've got to understand what, what this image has done to our church. You've got to understand what this has done to us. See, as we've looked at this sculpture every Sunday, God has been speaking to us through that sculpture. See, what we realise is that we are Jesus' hands and feet, that we've called to be His hands. When Jesus has no hands, that's okay because that's us. He said, please leave Jesus without any hands because that's our role to play. See, we need connection. Connection happens in community and real community requires real action. I said at the start that God wants to save us from isolation, from loneliness and weariness and He wants to save us for community. 
what I want to do this morning. One of the really easy things to do is to preach about this stuff and then kind of just get the team up and we go out and we have a great cup of coffee that you're all going to shout someone that you don't know and buy them biscuits, which are free, uh, and give them to some people you don't know. What I wanted to do, what I was sensing the Holy Spirit saying last night is what I want you to do, Dave, right now is there's people who are lonely. There's people who are isolated. There's people going through so much. And if we're going to talk about community, then we're going to model community. So what I want to do right now in these moments as the team comes up, if you are going through a moment or a season of isolation, a season of loneliness where you just desperately need a group of people who, to get around you, to love on you, and to pray with you. That's what we're going to do this morning. So what I need from you, we want to. We want to get around you. We want to stand with you. You know what? This is a group of people who don't actually know your circumstances, that don't know your situations, but are going, you know what? This is our community and you're part of our community. So we actually want to stand with you this morning and we're going to, we're going to gather around you and we want to lay hands on you and we just want to, we're going to pray for you and we want you to know that we're not just kind of metaphorically in my, in my head with you. I actually want to stand with you right now this morning, if you're going through some things and you feel like you're in a place of loneliness and isolation and weariness, can I invite you this morning to do something that's going to be a little bit daunting? Will you stand with me? We stand now and we're going to get around you and we're going to pray for you. And we are going to model what community should be so that when once when someone needs others, there's others that are around. So why don't you this morning, if that's you, why don't you just jump to your feet? Why don't you jump to your feet? I know there's people here and I know that it's scary and I know that it's challenging. Bless you. We actually want to get around you this morning. Is that you this morning? That's awesome. Come on, church. This is not a time to play. I'm a little bit nervous. We're all a little bit nervous. Is that you? Come on. God wants to touch you this morning. God wants to speak into what you're going through. Don't rob us of an opportunity of being able to partner with you. Don't rob us of an opportunity where we can get around you. We just want to love you for moments. I want to show you that this is not just a sermon with keys. This is who we are, church. each one of us to either stretch out a hand if you're too far away but most of all can I encourage each one of us to get around remove from your seats like this 
get around people that are near you. You may not know them, but that's okay. Let's get around these people now. Let's lay hands on them. Let's give them a hug if they need a hug. (laughs) Come on, this is our time, church. This is our time to be community. This is not a time where we sit back and go, hey, you know what, someone else will do it. No, it's on us. It's on each one of us. Let's get around these people. Let's pray for them. Let's cheer them on. Let's, let's lift them up. Why don't we just start praying now? If you can't get there, why don't we just stretch out a hand? Let's gather around them right now. Let's pray for them. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.